The following program contains the name or names of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander peoples who have since deceased. Please be warned. This program contains strong language and describes a death in custody of which is very graphic. One, two, three, go, go, go. This is the sound of the last few minutes of David Dungay's life. It's taken from the footage filmed by correction officers and released by the coroner on the first day of the inquest into David's death. You want to get to uh, I'm sorry, please, please. Let me out, please, It's harrowing to watch, and its graphic nature has meant it's been seen around the world. I'm Taylor Fuller. I am Miles Herbert, and this is Breathless, the death of David Dungay Jr. In the first episode, we met David's mother, and we talked about his health issues. In the second episode, we met the men in the family, and heard about the sedative he was administered before he died. In this episode, we are going to hear from his sisters, and we want to find out more about something that has come up at the inquest, positional asphyxia. We are a long way from Kempsey, standing with the family outside the Downing Street local court in the middle of Monday morning rush hour in the heart of Sydney CBD, on the day the inquest into David's death is set to begin. So you'll deal with me all day? Okay. I will, yes, I'm here. I only want that David's face is on a few dozen red T-shirts, worn by the family and friends. On the steps going up into the courthouse, David's image looks out at the people walking by from a banner laid down by supporters. There is a couple of TV cameras and us. Outside the courthouse, on Gadigal land, another smoking ceremony is performed. Almost three years on, from the one Latona performed for her son outside Kempsey Jail. We love, share, and give, and be kind. And so, I don't know where this happened to my son. David Dungay, say his name. David Dungay, say his name. David Dungay. This is Hawk Newsome. H-A-W-K-N-E-W-S. Wearing a black coat and towering over the rest of the crowd. I'm the president of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. Hawk came to stand alongside the family. It's the same story, different soil. It's the same thing from Long Bay to the USA. In Sydney, his name is David Dungay. In New York City, his name would be Eric Gardner. Put your hand behind your back. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. 
Eric Gardner called for his life 11 times. David Dungay called for his life 12 times. Just keep it there. These eerie similarities cannot go ignored. Eric Garner died just a year before David died in Long Bay. His killing sparked the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. His last words, I can't breathe, became an iconic statement at protest rallies across the country. It has been four years since Garner died in the street, and no criminal charges have been filed against the officers. As Hawk stands here today on Gadigal land, it has been 26 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. It made 339 recommendations intended to stop the growing numbers of Aboriginal people being incarcerated and dying in custody. But David is just one of 340 Indigenous men and women who have died in detention since the report was released. The number of Aboriginal people being locked up has increased over the last decade. Indigenous people are now 13 times more likely to be incarcerated than non-Indigenous Australians, and young Indigenous people are 24 times more likely to end up in jail. The Northern Territory government was recently forced to admit that every single child in detention is Indigenous. Their First Nation to the Blacks in my nation, it's all the same. It's black faces, it's black deaths, it's black tears, and it's the same excuses coming from those blue uniforms. That's true. It's the same excuses. Standing steadfast next to Hawk and only coming up to his elbow is David's mother, Latona. It's not, not good for any parent, but if you've got to prove a point of justice, you've got to look at it because it's your boy, it's your son, you know? I suppose if no mother does that, well, she didn't care about her son, but this mother does. And I will do anything to get justice. 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 David was the youngest boy in a family of four kids. He had two sisters, Christine, the big sister who doubled as a second mum and is now watching her son Paul raise a child of his own, and Cynthia, the little sister who is practically David's twin. Like so many Aboriginal women and their mother Latona, they've been fighting to keep their families together in the wake of trauma and distress. I spoke with Christine on her front porch while one of her six children was sitting on her lap as the others played in the Kempsey sun. And I spoke with Cynthia at her home in Parramatta, six hours from Kempsey, where she moved to be closer to David when he was first incarcerated. Yeah, it's been hard. I've been sort of the rock, like, that holds the family together. I'm the one who's done everything ever since David died, like, everything. I mean, from organising to speaking to doing the funeral arrangements, rallies, I mean, everything. It's been hard, but at least it kept me occupied to thinking what happened. That's probably why I didn't really sit down and think, oh, you know, what's going on here? Um, I'm still doing it for him. Because I'm the strongest, that's why I think, yeah. Which I have been, even with David when he was alive. I always, yeah, kept them all together and, yeah, made sure they were all right. Do you have a favourite memory of David? 
Um, yeah, I, I do actually. When me and him always used to tease each other <laughs> and was like twins and it was like we was twins, but it was a year apart. I raised him and Cynthia really and they didn't really want to leave me. I'd play with them all day, put them to sleep and, and they'd cry to sleep with me too. He'd chuck a joke or he will just make try and make you laugh like and then tease you, poke you like <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was good at joking around. Yeah. He was being a brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was he was a great brother. He was kind, happy, go lucky. Yeah. He was the kindest person I ever met. How are you doing after all this? Yeah, I had a not not really a good. I had a meltdown about two months ago. Yeah, I broke down. I, I I'm back to myself now. I've been in hospital. Yeah, cause nervous breakdown, like, and it's too close. Yeah, the court case and all that. It's hard to look at photos of David. Yeah, for me it is. I can't. I can't do it. I know how Mum does it every day. I do it one day and that's it. I'm, yeah, down in the dumps. I just sit there and cry. I actually had nightmares for a year straight, so... I didn't speak to anyone. I just dealt with it on my own because I had the kids and being pregnant, so, yeah, it was hard. You haven't seen the CCTV footage? No, I'm the only one who didn't. I can't do it. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Not me. <laughs> As the inquest progresses, it is becoming clear that David's continued restraint was an important factor in his death. As the week goes on, each of the eight guards involved in the incident take the stand. Each time, the video is played again. And the more it is played, the more members of David's family get up and leave the room. The reason why it's being played is that each of the guards is being asked whether they thought David was having trouble breathing. And if they know what the risk factors are of restraining someone face down in the prone position, the way David was. Look, it appears to be almost invariably multifactorial. This is Professor Johan de Flew, a forensic pathologist. So... Typically, you've got a person who often has a psychiatric condition. You've got a person who's on various forms of medication. They often have heart disease, which may or may not be known about, and they're often overweight. And um, to, to a certain extent, especially if they've got a protruding belly, the pressure on the abdomen is pushing up the organs within the chest and making it harder to breathe. Do you mind if I show you show you the video of Dungay dying mm -hmm. um, and then we can continue with the rest of our sure. questions and then you can make a decision yeah. from what, what you see. This one is, yeah. 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 He is often called as an expert witness at coronial inquests where positional asphyxia is a factor. What we are seeing is a person saying, I'm struggling to breathe. They then appear to acquiesce, comply, 
play possum, take your pick. What's what, what's actually happening? But but in fact, what's happening is they've suddenly lost consciousness. On the first day of the inquest, a corrections officer, referred to as C for legal reasons, told the court she did not know what positional asphyxia was and had received no training about the risk of sudden death if someone is restrained incorrectly. It was also revealed in court that five of the six officers who restrained David testified they were untrained in the risks of positional asphyxia. Other states around the country do have guidelines around the use of prone restraints, in which they outline warning signs a person may be suffering from positional asphyxia. Johan de Flo explains what the five key warning signs are. Well, I suppose number one, certainly a person telling you he or she cannot breathe. Useful. Yes. Googling gasping sounds indicating blockage of the airway and possibly worse, that they may in fact be um, developing a cardiac arrest or similar. Lips, hands, face discoloured blue due to lack of oxygen, the chances are that's due to the heart having stopped, Um, at which stage you're in serious trouble. Increasing panic, prolonged resistance, yes, I think that's uh, entirely reasonable. I see number five, sudden tranquility. Yes, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting how invariably that's viewed as a good thing. But hold him down for a bit longer because he's probably pay, playing possum. But in fact, they're holding down, at that time, a person in cardiac arrest. But Officer F, who was standing at the door of the cell believed David was trying to trick him by saying he couldn't breathe. Officer A also thought a person who was speaking was a sign they could breathe. And this was not based on any corrections or restraint training, but rather on his own history with panic attacks. You can take shallow breaths. I can't talk, I can't talk, I can't talk, I can't talk. You know, now I haven't taken any breaths in between there. Um... Yet, I can say things. So, he may quite well have been able to breathe to a limited extent, but he wouldn't necessarily be able to breathe fully and deeply. Despite several reports recommending the review of force on inmates, New South Wales Corrections seems not to have provided the essential training on positional asphyxia. They do have a policy on the use of physical restraint, outlining the warning signs, but it was added after David's death. The only publicly available copy is fully redacted. Now, the other thing, of course, is that he's administered midazolam. And midazolam, on occasion, can cause respiratory arrest. And you've really got to wonder is if that is the case here. David also kind of fits that profile that we were talking about, restraint asphyxia, the obesity, he was a schizophrenic, and he had asthma. Yeah. Do you think in combination with all of those things, maybe midazolam and the restraint could have played a part together? Oh, sure, I think they could. Um, <clears throat> in, in all of these cases, 
It's been invariably my experience that you can't just say the person died of this one thing. They've died of a combination of factors all acting together in some way or other. It was horrible. It didn't hit me, like, for a while. Still hasn't sort of. Haven't been to his gravesite yet since the incident. And since he's been gone. Just thinking, how come he should be here, you know? This is hard not knowing why and what happened. That's all we want to know, really. We've sat down, we went through millions and millions and millions of of different ways and trying to figure out ourselves what happened, you know, why. But at the end of the day, we don't know. We went there and we're still not going to know the full story, just bits and pieces. They're not going to come out and say, oh, I shouldn't have did this, and I did this, and I hit him, and none of that's going to be said. As the first week of the inquest comes to a close, the family has sat through some harrowing moments in court. There's still another week to go, but the world is watching what happens. Same black bodies, same black deaths, same system that's taking these lives away, stealing loved ones from families, leaving holes in hearts. It's the system doing it. This is why we need systematic change. After the hearing is over, the coroner will retire to consider his findings. But until then, we'll just wait. Maybe your viewers could help me to understand is... Why does the world hate black people? Why do they dislike black people? Why do black lives not matter to them? They say it in theory, but their actions say otherwise. Life Inside, written by David Dungay Jr. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, sometimes we smile, sometimes we sigh. At times, life can be a bit too hard. How they can lock us away with no regard. They don't care, well, that's how it seems. And they take away our hopes and dreams. And until the day we're out and free, this is how our life's to be. It's unfair, and this we know, just waiting and waiting for our time to go. It makes us angry, it makes us mad. It breaks our heart and makes us sad. And we tell ourselves that nothing's wrong cause we keep in mind that life goes on. Thanks for listening to Breathless. Breathless was produced by me, Taylor Fuller, Miles Martignoni and Lorena Allen and made in partnership with The Garden Australia and 2SER 107.3. Thank you to Jack Lattimore and Helen Davidson for their help reporting this story. We will be back in your podcast feed when the coroner delivers his findings. Until then, we would like to thank the Dungay family 